Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Psychology 360 podcast. Today, I have with me Dr. Michael Browder. Uh, Michael Broder is a best-selling author, a psychologist, and coach, and he is located in Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania. Correct, Michael? You're yes, I am. Great. Uh, welcome to the show. And uh, could you tell us the the audience a little bit about yourself, your your work, and uh, some of your books? Sure. Well, uh, first, let me. Thank you for having me, Simon. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, I began. I began as as an accountant, by, by the way. And and the reason I'm uh, pointing that out at the beginning is because it it's got a lot to do with the approach that I've developed. Um, I I started my early career. Uh, running my own accounting firm and was fairly successful at it. In fact, it's still operating, uh, even though I haven't been involved in it since the 70s. Uh, but I got very bored with it. Somehow or another, my passion, the passion that made me develop this into a, a uh, very... Uh, thriving uh, uh, enterprise uh, just uh, kind of uh, left me and I became, I felt very bored. And at the time, and we're going back to the 70s, I didn't know where to, uh, where to turn. Anyone I talked to about it said, oh my God, you know, uh, how can this be happening? And and it doesn't make sense. And other people would say, well, maybe you want to go into law and you can become a tax lawyer. And I go, ah, no. Anyway, uh, I, I wound up uh, meeting a mentor, somebody who was very involved in a career change. And through a lot of different um, uh, steps that came along the way wound up changing my career to uh, uh, psychology. And part of the re reason, part of the reason that I wound up in this field, I think, is because I realized that the part of my job that I liked the most was not the part that I got paid for. I got paid for uh, doing the, the work uh, and that accountants do and, and guiding my staff to do that. But what I really loved doing was helping people resolve tough problems. And as an accountant, they were usually business problems. As a psychologist, uh, the thing that struck me more than anything else about the field is that it is so vast and so uh, encompassing and exciting that it would be impossible to get bur burned out. Now, each step along the way, I realized that there were 
people that I had known, uh, accounting firm clients, people that I knew in my personal life, um, and others who were stuck at each of these various steps and wound up making a, uh, a specialty of helping people to make major life changes and developed a process to do that, which uh, my last two books are about. My uh, uh, approach is called stage climbing and it's where you recognize, and this is very important, you recognize that your psyche operates very much the way your body does. Uh, you know, we're, 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 we're born at uh, just uh, weighing a, a few pounds and, a, and, and, and a few ounces, but we contain all the seeds that we will have as an adult. And depending on how we nurture that body that we're gifted with when we're born, depending on how we nurture that, we develop either into a healthy uh, individual or uh, go the, the opposite direction. Of course, there are other factors that are involved there that are uh, that don't have to do with your lifestyle. But for, for the most part, we're, we, we've been created to develop in the direction of health. And the same is true with our psyche, that we mature, we go through certain stages and to the extent that we that parts of us don't get stuck in one stage or another, and we can go through what the seven stages are. Uh, in my latest book, I call it um, Seven Steps to Your Best Life, uh, the stage climbing solution for living the life you were born to live. That's my latest book, and I have an online course uh, that we're launching uh, by that name too. But to the extent that you're not, uh, that a part of you, not uh, this isn't an all or nothing thing, that some part of you is not stuck in one of those stages, you will mature to a zone that where you, where you are at your best. I call it your zone of genius. Um, in, in the first book, I uh, refer to it more as the zone of your highest potential. And you can be in that zone in one or more areas of your life. And you can be in, uh, and, and then there can be other parts of your life where you are unable to, to uh, uh, get there. Uh, but what I have uh, done in these books, and this is as a result of 40 years of, of uh, practice, uh, practicing evolving versions of this particular approach is to provide strategies that correspond with, it, with each step so that you can get free 
of what I call hooks to your lower stages, problematic hooks. Uh, and in a natural and organic way, you then wind up on that path, which, which is your uh, path to, to your highest potential, your zone of genius, whatever you want to uh, call it. And I'll define that for you a little bit better as we go along. Yeah. And the steps. Just to touch upon what you said, that's quite a fascinating journey because you were originally an accountant and then you basically switched, you know, you went to a totally different career path. And what you said about um, how psychology is so all encompassing is something is what drew me to psychology when I was. Um, in my early days at, at college, I was undecided. I was taking liberal arts and I, um, I took a couple of psychology courses and I just thought, wow, this is like applied. It's almost like applied philosophy. And there's so many ways you can go with it. And, mm -hmm. and that's, yes. yeah, and, and that's quite uh, interesting. And how, how many, how long did it take you to switch over? Well, in those days, you could be um, licensed as a, uh, you know, you could, you could be licensed to uh, practice accounting uh, with an associate's degree in accounting, which is what I had. I was in that field uh, seven, well, I, I went through school at night. And so uh, by the time I got my, by the time, time I got my, my degree, uh, my associate's degree, uh, I was only 20 years old. I, I was able to take the CPA exam. I had to wait till I was 21 to take the CPA exam. Um, and I was working, working uh, uh, for an accounting firm. And once I became a senior accountant, I was managing an office and wound up buying that office and that was what I built into my, my own firm. So I ran that for about four years and, and, and that was when the, the uh, crisis that I went through uh, first started to happen. I joined a, uh, uh, an adult degree program at Goddard uh, to finish up my bachelor's degree. And then I went right into a master's degree uh, program at Temple and, 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 and then a doctorate. And it, it took me four years to get the master's and doctorate. It took me uh, uh, about a year and a half to finish up the bachelor's. Mm -hmm. And all, all the way through, I was uh, working uh, in this field as I phased out of accounting and found the right person to take over the firm. Right. So, so it was all, all together, I would say it was about a seven or eight year transition. And in the process, I wound up working with Albert Ellis in New York and became a very close, um, associate uh, of, of his, uh, in fact, wound up uh, running, running the Albert Ellis Institute. Uh, uh, and I was the one who had the unpleasant task of having to uh, 
uh, take Al off of his work. But Albert Ellis was uh, uh, the originator of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is now the state of the art. In those days, it didn't have a lot of credibility, cognitive behavioral therapy. Now it's state of the art. Right. It's evidence-based, it's very quick uh, to get to uh, central issues and so forth. And so that was very influential also in putting together uh, the approach that I called stage climbing later on. It's uh, based on my earliest training, which is more in, uh, in the analytical, developmental uh, kind of realm. And you know, that, was, that was the earliest uh, uh, training that I had. And cognitive behavioral therapy, which in some ways contradicted that more standard and traditional approach, I found to have way more in common than most people recognized. Mm -hmm. So it became, it became a, uh, uh, an obsession for a while of integrating all of this because we have one mind that if we have, if we have um, uh, schools of thought that are saying, no, it works this way and other schools of thought that are saying, no, it works that way. Um, who are, who are we to believe? And as an accountant, then the, the, part, the part of me that was an accountant came into play and said, well, the part that gets results. Yes. And that's what I became, uh, very, very, uh, focused on, you know, uh, Speaking of results, I, 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 I teach a, a workshop uh, that I've been doing for many years and called Advanced Strategies in Cognitive Behavioral Therapy at Villanova. And one of the questions I ask my students first session is, what is the most important aspect of therapy? What is the most important thing? And I get every answer, but the right one. <laughs> But the correct one, uh, I get the relationship, yes. the process, the, the uh, ability to connect uh, ideas, blah, blah, blah. No, the answer is results. Mm -hmm. and, and most importantly, Simon, results. Uh, so it's important, I think, to de define what results are. Uh, you would say, well, they vary from person to person, and you're correct, okay, because they do vary from person to person. But the one thing that results have in common that are truly life-changing and game-changing uh, and long-term are that it empowers you to be the master of your choices, to choose the life you want to live. And the, the word choose is very important there. When you are unable to choose, that's when all kinds of other 
problems come into play. But the under, uh, but the underlying uh, solution is to connect with your choices, and you're the only one that has those choices. So we get you to that zone within yourself where your choices become very clear to you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what the process is all about. Yes, and, and I just wanted to touch upon what you said before about the zone of genius, because that, if, if that's how you called it, it, it sounds a lot like, uh, I mean, I'm thinking in terms of philosophy and metaphysics, even like uh, Plato's self-daemon, right? The, the, the genius, the, the following one's true path, if, if you will. And exactly. And yes. that's what I was thinking when you were describing your transition from accountant to psychologist. And so would you say that that's kind of the um, like what's driving these types of uh, like you, it's almost like self-actualization, right? What, what you're well, yes, it, it is. It, it's it's very um, when I teach this approach to professionals. I've done a couple of workshops. Uh, I've done CE workshops, uh, hundreds of them throughout my career on different things, particularly uh, in the cognitive behavioral realm. But when I've done workshops on this for professionals, um, my favorite title and the the one that, that seems to draw the most professionals is how to teach adult clients, uh, how to help, I'm sorry, how to help adult clients to grow up and then uh, in one or more areas of their lives when they're left behind. That's the subtitle. So uh, it's it's about growing up to your potential. And uh, you're right. All the ancient philosophers talked about it in their own way. Uh, The Buddha certainly did. The Buddha was the one who, who taught us all that the answers lie within ourselves. Mm-hmm. And this sounds kind of, um, you know, you, you say that today and people say, well, duh, of course they do. But this was almost heresy when he said it, okay? Uh, and then we've gone through periods of time throughout history where that perspective was completely lost. And the human potential movement brought it back starting in the 1960s. And the person who I credit that more than anyone, by the way, is a guy you alluded to, well, Abraham Maslow, who came up with the concept of self-actualization. And that told us that told us that there's something more to be striving for. But first you have to work through, you have to be, be comfortable in your own skin. And the more comfortable you are in your own skin, the closer you get to the standard called st- uh, self-actualization. And uh, Maslow did it his way, the way I, uh, teach this concept. And by the way, uh, Simon, just for your for, for uh, information of uh, uh, you and your listeners, I have an, a, an audio album that I did with Nightingale Conant in 1993 
called self-actualization, reaching your full potential, uh, which is the uh, first time I actually introduced the stage climbing model. But I, but um, it was the first audio program, uh, the six-hour audio program, and it's, uh, which is still available today. You can certainly get it on, uh, uh, find it on my website. Uh, but that put action steps to Maslow's theory. So Maslow was a great theoretician, but he was an academic and he was not a, uh, a strategy man. Uh, Carl Rogers came along and did it his way. And he, of course, uh, dramatically changed the psychotherapy and counseling field by uh, doing simple things like say, call me Carl and uh, looking clients in the eye. You know, these were, these are revolutionary things in the early sixties, uh, late fifties and early sixties and Carl Rogers started. Uh, and, and that approach of course is, has been very helpful to many people too. What I have done is developed a process that you can follow step by step, literally paint by the numbers in a paint by the numbers way. And it will get you to this zone. But there's one condition, one important condition to getting there. And that is you have to do the work. <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, you know, it's like there's no shortage of people who want to get there. But man, is there a shortage of people who want to get there but don't want to do the work. So, uh, you know, those of us who do audio programs and, and uh, get this out to the mass uh uh, you know, to, 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 to the masses who really need it. Uh, you know, I started doing this, I did radio for 17 years and, and, and did, um, uh, did this in like five, five minute sound bites uh, on the radio. I, I was a, a call-in radio psychologist, uh, but getting, getting that point across today we're competing with things like subliminal tapes where mm -hmm. they say, okay, you put on your headphones, you sit in an easy chair, close your eyes and uh, uh, just listen to this tape in 20 minutes and you'll be prosperous or you'll, you won't be anxious anymore or you won't be depressed. And uh, subliminal tapes are great. They only have one problem with them is they don't work. I mean, it's kind of like, um, you go to a Paul McCartney concert, you're going to come out feeling great. All right. But it's not going to have an effect on your life 48 hours later. Uh, and it's the same with a lot of these other approaches where you don't have to do the work. You feel better, but you don't get better. And that, and, 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 and that particular paradigm of feeling better without getting better is what really drew me to the cognitive behavioral school of thought, because um, we're we're in the business of getting better, you know, not doing 
uh, unfortunately, as many people know, a lot of psychotherapy is, is almost like prostituted friendship where you're, you, you are talking to somebody and uh, you develop a relationship and that's all well and good, but uh, things aren't changing. We'd rather help you to find friends that you don't have to pay and, uh, and, then, and then take your life in the direction that you really want to go. So, so that's what the approach is, is, uh, is all about, you know, uh, on, the, on the macro level. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned uh, like the subliminal tapes and uh, what, came, what I was thinking about was uh, there's actually, they're actually releasing um, workout in a pill coming out soon. So that's not a joke. That's not a joke. I, I know, I've, I've heard about it and I don't know much about it. I don't know much about it, but um, uh, anybody who anybody who works out beyond the you know when you start getting the effect, you you get you 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 get um, uh, a lot of hidden benefits that I'm not sure you can get in a pill, uh, but but. Um, uh, there will be a lot of takers for that because it's easier. Yeah. And, 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 that, and that's a question that everyone listening should really ask themselves about changes they want to make in their life. I mean, whether you're talking about getting into a relationship or out of a relationship, whether you're talking about enhancing the relationship you're in, whether you're talking about advancing in your career or changing your career, making a minor change of a job or making a major, 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 major change like I did um, or moving to another part of, your, uh, of, a, of, of, of the country or world or doing something else to follow a dream. Uh, You've got to ask yourself, the first question to ask yourself is this, am I willing to do the work to do it? And if the answer is no, then um, that's okay. Uh, All right, well, this would be great, but I'm not willing to do what I have to do to do it. Um, Or uh, you can can follow something like the step-by-step procedure and get into that zone. The worst of all worlds is to say, I wanna do it, not be willing to do the work, and then kind of see the life that you could have, you know, what I talk about as your best life, uh, dangling in front of you, but just like within arms, you know, like beyond the reach of your arm, that kind of thing. That's what, that's the worst of all worlds. So if you're willing to do the work, if you're willing to do the work, there are concrete steps that you can, that you can take. And once you've, once you've taken them, once you've taken the first five steps, uh, you, you're in that zone. And then step six and seven 
uh, really determine the degree to which you're going to pursue, uh, you know, different options that become available to you once you are in the zone. Right, and, uh, and maintaining is, is also like one of the big topics for people is also the issue of persevering because you might, somebody may undertake something but then have an issue with, with keeping it up. So that's something that, that you also talk about. And I would like to ask you also to, because at the beginning you mentioned this, the different stages, but you didn't, um, you didn't go through them. So if you could go through what they are and also what the hooks you talk about are, because it sounds like a lot, uh, when, when you mentioned hooks, what came to my mind is the concept of hooks and games from transactional analysis, but I don't know if that's uh, connected in any way. Well, not, uh, not, 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 not directly, but it's, uh, it, it, it's based on a similar it's based on a similar uh, uh, concept, uh, as you'll see when we, uh, when I say a similar concept, I mean a similar concept where uh, by going by, by one step leading to, leading to the next and uh, to the degree that you stay with it, you, you, you get the reward, you get the reward you're, you're, you're seeking. So let me, let me run through the, uh, the seven steps and the steps are also analogous, and this is important, to stages in your life. And that's why I call them hooks, because when you are navigating from one stage to another, again, it happens naturally and organically, but that assumes that that uh, that assumes that you don't have hooks keeping you uh, tied to a certain stage. So, all right. So uh, what are the seven steps, seven stages? The first one's, of course, taking the initiative. And this corresponds, by the way, to infancy. Uh, an infant is unable to take initiative uh, to, to do uh, anything. They're, 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 almost completely dependent on others for virtually everything and are not empowered to act on their own. And that's a natural stage of development in infancy. But to the extent that we have hooks in infancy, we're, we're going to tell ourselves things like we're, we're helpless, we can't do it. I'm a victim. I'm a victim of my past, of my childhood, of, uh, of my socioeconomic level, of um, uh, this, that, or the other thing. And so <clears throat> at, at when you're stuck in stage uh, one, uh, you're motivated to doing what is, what feels easiest, safest, less threatening, most comfortable or secure. And you can see where, if you're stuck here, success in your business or career will elude you. Uh, 
doing things like getting out of a bad relationship, thinking that you're not going to be able to uh, make it on your own. Uh, things like that will happen. And in this process, we teach you how to set goals and make very manageable steps to break the log jam wherever taking the initiative is holding you back. Okay, step two corresponds with the stage we're in at when we're toddlers. And, and what does a toddler do? A toddler uh, is an infant who finally learns how to walk and talk and do all these other things and gets empowered. And, uh, but what do we think of when we think of a toddler? We think of somebody who's not self-disciplined, uh, who doesn't take responsibility for their actions. I mean, because they haven't learned how to do that yet. And, um, uh, and, and to the extent that we haven't learned uh, self-discipline, we haven't learned how to say, okay, uh, this is what I think and this is what I feel, and then make a decision as to which way to go and be in charge of it. And once again, do the hard work, whatever your goal may be. Again, whether it be starting a business, whether it be uh, uh, making a lifestyle change of uh, some other type, uh, getting the self-discipline that you need to do it is going to be an, an incredibly important uh, aspect of it. And once again, uh, it's about learning strategies to do that and learning strategies to also retain the great part of toddlerhood where we learn uh, joy and, and fun and, and, uh, and how, to, how to be authentic. So uh, that's step two. Uh, step three deals with our comfort zone and it corresponds with late childhood. And in late childhood and, 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 and all through childhood, and part of the function of childhood is to learn the rules of society, to learn the rules of uh, living life in this world and learning how to uh, obey people that need to be obeyed and so on and so forth. But to the extent that you're that you have problematic hooks in stage three, you're likely to be something of, you, you could be a, a rigid rule abider or simply someone who's afraid to leave your comfort zone and, and uh, develop alternative actions that make it possible for you to for, for you to do something that you always thought you'd be unable to do. I've talked to so many people, for example, who, who uh, went to college after raising their kids and always felt that, that, uh, that they didn't have the opportunity when they were younger. And so uh, there was a fear, though, of doing it because it really made them get off their comfort zone. 
or getting out of a lucrative family business that you hate to be in, or in my case, getting out of my accounting firm. It was about get, breaking out of that comfort zone. And, and, and once you've done that, once you've learned how to do that, to, to, to do some prudent risk-taking and, and have hardwire the new attitudes to do it and so forth, uh, that becomes addicting. You know, you're never going to live by someone else's obsolete rules. Okay, step four has to do with fear and courage. And this is where most psychotherapy happens, where we deal with anxiety and the, the idea of not fitting in, the idea of, of, of um, being rejected, uh, for our uniqueness. See, at step three, at step three, your acceptance is predicated on the idea of fitting in. At step four, just like in adolescence, you're developing your, your own uniqueness. So our task here is to replace fear and anxiety with courage and get people then putting all these things into, into, into play, taking uh, any step closer to this path that's, that, that's leading to the zone we're talking about. Uh, so, so that's step four. Step five, by the way, is, the, is what, what, what I call the normal adult in our society. And normal isn't necessarily optimal. So in our society, in our society, we, we talk about taking charge of uh, balancing our lives and taking charge of our roles. And, and that's all good because we all do it and we all need to do it. That's part of, uh, part of life. But to the extent that you are the sum of your roles, chances are you're not operating, you're, you're not operating at a level even close to where you could be. So we teach people a few things at this step, which is uh, managing stress, balancing roles, and and reducing overwhelm so that you have room for the things that you were actually put on earth to do. In other words, you weren't put on earth just to be a, a, a brother, a mother, a father, a, a, a this or that. Uh, you were, we all have a much higher purpose. And it's a whole other conversation uh, as to as to how this originates, and nobody knows the absolute truth here, but we do know it exists. And to the extent that you've taken the initiative, mastered self-discipline, were able to unlock and move out of your comfort zone, replace fear uh, with courage, take charge of your life roles, you find yourself 
in this zone that we've been talking about. This is a natural and organic place to be. And this is where passion is what really rules us. This is where we connect with uh, the real unique stuff uh, within us, where we're inspired and we are where we are are uh, creative, where we where we love, where we're in touch with our talents, our innate gifts, you know, and 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 all the all the ingredients that put us on track to make a unique contribution. And when you're operating in stage six, you are, you are at your best, you are enjoying yourself, uh, you are doing what you love. You know, I'm 74 years old and, and I'm working uh, and I don't have to work. And people ask me, geez, why don't you retire? And the reason I don't retire is because I love what I do. Uh, it's as simple, simple as that. And uh, I mean, uh, if you look throughout history, uh, you know, Thomas Edison uh, didn't retire. Uh, neither did Einstein. Neither did Freud. Neither did uh, uh, I'm not putting myself obviously in in their category. But what I'm saying is that when you think of the people who have made the biggest contributions to society, uh, you know, the Frank Sinatras, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the Bill Gateses, okay? Uh, they didn't work their whole life so that they could uh, relax and sit on an easy chair when they turned, uh, uh, they got to be around my age or even, even younger. Uh, they are, doing exactly what they want to be doing because they know that that's why they were here to do it. And at step six, that's where you are. And I have not found anyone who was willing to do the work that couldn't get there. Step seven is a kind of optional step. And that's where you're getting, that's where you're, you're getting beyond yourself. And a lot of people tell me that they're burnt out on their own self-gratification, believe it or not. And uh, they're kind of beyond that. And when you're operating at stage six for a while, you want to make a, this is where, you're, where, where your, your legacy, your life purpose, uh, what you're gonna leave behind comes into play. And, and this could be something as simple as the best parenting. The best parenting is done at stage seven, as is, uh, each time we give blood or make a contribution uh, that doesn't benefit us directly, but that we are able to make with our resources because our passions are telling us to. And, and uh, they are the seven steps. And as you can see, they correspond with, with various stages in our lives. Because uh, steps six and seven, usually kick in. I mean, if you look at the Eric Erickson model of stage development, or you look at Maslow's, um, uh, they, they, they all come to this one place where 
it all comes together. But unfortunately, too many people don't get there in the areas that are in, in, in certain areas uh, that are important to them. On the other hand, many people get there organically in areas of their lives. Like, for example, a really, uh, re really good parent, you could be a really good parent, but have a, uh, an abysmal a career or business life. That means that you, you have been able to advance to this zone in one area of your life, but not in another one. And that's the area that you work on. See. Right. Yeah. So that's, that makes sense. And so basically uh, these hooks would be kind of like, they would be limitations and things that you bring forward from a previous stage. Right. So. Yeah. Well, they're perceived limitations. Okay. Because, because, um, the the idea is that we can get beyond it. We can get beyond them. So they're not limitations, but they're challenges. And 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 by the way, we all we all have them. I have never met anyone who did not have uh, some hook somewhere in just about every stage. I've never met anybody like, uh, uh, sometimes it, it doesn't bother them. Sometimes it does. And by the way, you can also have hooks in higher stages. For example, there are uh, kids who show really strong talent at an early age. You know, if you have uh, talent in music or mathematics or, or some other area that, that uh, comes out when you're, when you're young and, and that's really what you want to do, you, you, you've got a, uh, you, you may be, you could be uh, uh, operating in the lower or even appropriate stages with most of your life, but you have a hook way ahead that most people don't organically develop until later on in, in, uh, in, in life. So, uh, so hooks work both ways. Uh, not all hooks are bad. It's just the problematic ones that we want to learn how to manage. And, and once we do that, then, then they'll no longer, they no longer have the power to hold us back. Right. Yeah. And also the way you frame it is important. So you're, you're saying, yeah, also framing it as a challenge rather than a limitation or perceived limitation is important. And from what I gather also from the way you describe these theories, you, you, um, really, uh, you're really putting out a uh, strong emphasis on an internal locus of control. So basically we are the uh, masters of our own destiny. Right. So absolutely. And by the way, by the way, uh, just to build on what you're saying, Simon, right. We are the masters of our own destiny. Uh, and, and we're also, uh, when, when, when we, when, when, when we get there, we're, we're also, we're also the, the masters, um, 
We, we have to realize one thing. We talked about results. Yes. When it comes to results, the only results, and this is in any area of your life, the only results that you can assure yourself of are results that are within in your power. Does somebody who goes through this process and decides, well, you know what, I want to, I want to be a billionaire, uh, will, and, and that's my goal, will this get me there? Well, the answer is, uh, I don't know, <laughs> because uh, becoming a billionaire is, is not something that you can control under your skin. However, you can, you can do everything that is within your, within your power, obviously. Uh, and when it comes to the external results, you can do many things in your power to push them in the right direction. But it's only what is under your skin that, that you can be assured that you can change. No matter what approach you're using to anything, even if you're talking about something like investing, you can be prudent and you can, you can read everything and you can talk to the right people and hire the best investment uh, uh, counselors in the world. Uh, but a lot of it's also gonna depend on how the, how, how the market does. And that may not be, well, not may not, that is not under, under your control. Uh, so you can't guarantee those results, but you can guarantee that you're going to have the result within yourself to either pull it off or to accept the fact that you've done everything you can and that certain things just aren't in your control. Uh, and, and that subtle distinction really gets in the way of many, many people achieving the destiny that they want to achieve. Right, yeah, that makes sense. And actually that leads me to the next topic. And I mean, some of the external factors are, we obviously cannot ignore, I mean, the impact of luck as well. Um, if you believe in such a thing, it's not actually, um, you know, there's no coincidences, some say. But uh, I, would, I would like to bring us to the next topic, which is a particularly um, difficult one uh, for me now personally and for many people around me. As, as you know, I'm uh, located in, in uh, Prague and, uh, and right now we are back in this lockdown situation. And there's a lot of people who aren't working, who are, uh, you know, have to stay home. They sometimes may not even be able to see uh, their families if they're far away. And so given these types of um, hardships, how would you, because you're a very result-driven uh, psychologist, obviously you, you have this, uh, you know, these, these very structured types of approaches and which I think would be quite helpful for many people. And so what would you, uh, how would you uh, 
um, navigate through this kind of territory if you had somebody coming to you who is in this kind of uh, hard hardship uh, you know situation with hardships and sometimes many less choices than would be the case when you know under normal circumstances sure well you know look uh, this is this is an unprecedented uh, reality uh, there's there's uh, certainly nothing good about it. Um, however, however, it's it it's one of those things that comes under a a category of things. Um, I was just talking to somebody yesterday who uh, uh, who is working to beat stage four cancer. Okay, there's nothing to do with COVID, but that was a card that he was dealt. And, and uh, this particular person is, is doing fantastic with it and, and, and making his life, um, uh, you know, recognizing how precious life is and, and doing things that he would have never done. Um, on the other hand, I know people that have gotten cancer and within days of just hearing the diagnosis and before medically, uh, there is any discernible reason why they, they died because they just gave up hope. So uh, same card, but you have different players playing the card differently. Now, now COVID <clears throat> is a very similar thing. On the one hand, it is it it is uh, uh, it is imposed devastating uh, uh, things. I mean, my my uh, uh, grand my grandchildren, uh, who are incredible students and and love school, uh, have been affected in ways that uh, I can't imagine. You know, uh, being affected, but I was their age uh, at all, but. And, and, and I have too, because uh, my, my wife and I, you know, we live in Center City, Philadelphia, and we, uh, she's a clinical psychologist as well, and we, we were used to eating out five nights a week. Uh, I haven't been to a restaurant since the second week in March. But one of the things that you can do in this case, and I certainly did it. I'll give, you an, I'll give you an example of how I did it personally and a couple of other things is you can say, all right, this is the reality. I cannot change the card that's being dealt. Uh, this is obviously a, uh, it's going on for far too long, but it still is a temporary situation. Thank God. Okay. So what can I do? What's something that I can accomplish that I couldn't, that I, that I might not have been able to accomplish time-wise or even motivation-wise if I had all the shiny objects that I had this time last year that could have pulled, that pulled me in this direction or that direction. Now, for me, I've been trying to lose, uh, I've been trying to lose uh, weight for, oh, 15 years and I go on this diet and I'll take off a pound, I'll put it back on. 
I have lost 25 pounds, which, which puts me exactly where I need to be. I'm in better shape than I've been in years. And it wouldn't have happened had it not been for the COVID. Uh, and even though we have lost people we know uh, to this horrible disease, uh, and even though, uh, thank God, my immediate family and all, we haven't gotten it. And even though I was able to do certain writing things that I wouldn't have had time to do otherwise, uh, I would give anything for this of never to have happened. But the fact that it happened prompted me to say, how can I, what can I do with this? Let's, let's, let's make believe this is actually some kind of opportunity. What can I do? What can I do to maximize this? And everyone listening can come up with something where you're going to be proud of yourself when this is over for having accomplished. And, and that's the way to look at it. And it's not sugarcoating it. It's, you're not in denial. You're just facing a reality. And for lack of a better way of saying it, making, making the best of it by achieving a result that you wouldn't have under ordinary circumstances. Yeah, so, so basically, yes, also what you mentioned, understanding that we always have some kind of a choice when we're dealt, you know, a certain situation, realizing what the things are that we can influence and change and what the things are that are beyond our control. And yeah, that sounds uh, familiar for the listeners that we've had, uh, Edith Eva Egger, um, a few weeks back. So that was uh, a topic she brought up as well. And yeah, so definitely uh, those, those, are, those are great, great points. And is there, I actually wanted to ask, I wanted to ask you this um, because I, I know and you mentioned earlier that you were working with Albert Ellis uh, before yes. and you had to do a, diff, you had the difficult task of basically leading through the transition uh, of the of the institute after Ellis's death, and Albert Ellis is a, is one of my favorite um, therapists in terms of and theoretician in terms of CBT, and I yes. know he was a very philosophical individual. And I would like to ask just uh, just for the listeners to know how was because I know he was a very rational. I know that the, his, his theory is rational emotive behavioral therapy, but. I know he was very rational and quite the character from, from what oh, I Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was a character. Do you have any uh, interesting stories? And what was this? Why was it a difficult time to transition? Because I know he was sick and, and he, he kept working till the very end. Well, what happened was, uh, by the way, uh, if, if you were your listeners uh, would like a, a, uh, to read an article, which that, that I wrote about this whole situation that six journals have wanted to publish, but I've just kept it on my website because I did not want to publish it. Uh, and I'm told, I'm told that uh, I didn't make this up. I'm told that it reads like a thriller, okay? Uh, on my website under articles, I have an article called The Final Days of Albert Ellis and the Lessons for All of Us. 
what happened was Albert, Albert Ellis was uh, totally devoted to his work. His work was his, uh, uh, was his life, was his children, was, uh, uh, you know, he, he, uh, uh, he, 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 he didn't have, uh, he, he didn't raise, raise children. He had children, but he didn't raise them. Uh, he, uh, uh, work was everything. And he's probably the most accomplished person that I not only ever knew, but ever knew of, um, wrote, uh, 75 books and over a thousand articles. When I was executive director there, we cataloged it all. And it was just mind boggling, mind boggling, staggering. Now, uh, when he approached uh, around, around the age of 91, 92, he started, um, uh, he went into a decline and he started to uh, become very intemperate. Uh, we, we had a lot of problems. I mean, there, there were incidents with him hitting people with a cane. There were a number of things that went on that were very well documented um, at the time. And uh, to make a very long story as short as possible, uh, you know, we had to, you know, with the with the help of the board, which is all people who uh, had been around him for as long as fifty years, and and uh, uh, and and our lawyers and uh, so forth, we had we had and the professional code of ethics, which requires us to protect the public. We had to take him off of his duties, and he complained about this um, very publicly, and the New York media picked it up, and it became a media circus. This was back in the early, uh, well, this was, uh, back in uh, uh, 2004, 2005. Uh, so I think I visit the early aughts because uh, I became executive director in uh, in 03 and I, and I was there for two years. I'd only agreed to do it for six months because on a temporary basis, but I wound up staying for two years. And, and uh, he, they put out a lot of information about how he was being uh, mischaracterized and so forth. But, uh, you know, in the end, anyone who was familiar with the situation knew that what had to be done was being done. And there was like this international uh, media campaign against us, uh, who we were being accused of trying to throw him out of his uh, own institute for untoward reasons, which was absolute Absolutely not true. Uh, but the media, uh, you know, I said to one New York Times reporter, why are you so fascinated with this, with everything that goes on in New York on a daily basis? And the guy laughed at me and he said, Albert Ellis against the Albert Ellis Institute. He said, you, you, you couldn't make this up. So I said to him, it wasn't called the Albert Ellis Institute until about 10 years ago. It was called the Institute for Rational Emotive Therapy. I said, if it was still called the, the Institute for Rational Emotive Therapy, would you still be covering it? And he thought about it for a minute and he said, 
Yeah, probably not. Probably not. You know, we'd have figured, okay, so <laughs> some old guy is uh, uh, isn't ready to retire, but other people think he's ready to retire. That probably happens uh, in New York City a thousand times a day. Um, so I said, so in other words, it's just because it was named after him. That's what is, you know, these are daily stories, the New York Times and all the other New York papers and, and so forth. So we, uh, uh, we, 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 we wound up uh, getting through that and uh, there were lawsuits and uh, it's all in the article. But in the end, um, in, the, in the end that had to happen and what it taught me was, you know, my wife's a psychologist, as I mentioned, my daughter, by the way, is a research psychologist. And I gave them both very detailed instructions. If I ever go into decline, uh, this is what you do. And by the way, it's very, very similar to what we did with Al. Mm. And I would say in the article, I tell them that if I, if, that if I am so out of it that I said, I never said that, well, you, you have proof because I wrote, an, I wrote this article. <laughs> and, uh, but but it, it was a sad story. Arnold Lazarus, who was another giant in the cognitive behavioral field, um, said it best that uh, he he uh, kind of he kind of um, uh, made an analogy between uh, Al Albert Ellison and Muhammad Ali. He said Muhammad Ali had quit three years earlier. Uh, he probably would not have had Parkinson's and would have gone out in a whole different way. And the same thing with Al. Uh, he, uh, three years before he was fine, he had a very rapid decline. He had good days and bad days, but on those bad days, he was, he was absolutely unfit to practice. Mm -hmm. And anyone who would have led him would have been uh, committing a, a very... Uh, uh, unethical act because uh, he just couldn't he, he just couldn't couldn't do it he just couldn't uh, uh, do it anymore and that's the that's that that was the uh, uh, the problem there yeah right and I can definitely see uh, I mean some of the influence he's had on your mode of thinking in terms of therapy right I mean it's very oh, yeah. and very yes it was the most difficult and the saddest uh, uh, situation, certainly in my professional life. And uh, right next to my father dying when I, at age nine, probably the most difficult personal thing that I went through too. Right. Uh, and having to uh, uh, be the quarterback of this process. Right. But it had to be done. Okay, well, yeah. So we are actually running out of time. Yeah, actually. Ooh. <laughs> so, uh, Michael Broder, thank you so much for being with me. And I would just like to ask you, I mean, I will put all your uh, information, your website uh, on the show notes. But if you want to tell the audience where they can uh, find your work, you, you are free to do so. Okay, well, if you uh, go to my website, uh, it's uh, michaelbroder.com or drmichaelbroder.com will get you there. And 
my book is called Seven Steps to Your Best Life, The Stage Climbing Solution for Living the Life You Were Born to Live. That's the book. Uh, the online course where I take you step-by-step step through each stage uh, can also be accessed through my website. And we're going to be, uh, it's, it's up there now, uh, but we're going to be uh, really um, promoting this course in, uh, uh, in the next uh, a couple of months. Uh, if you'd like to be on my mailing list um, on my website, you can sign up to be on my mailing list and you'll have all those uh, 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 developments. But with the course, uh, it'll, it'll take you very, very, in a very smooth way through each of the steps to change both your attitudes and the behavior. And remember, it's when you hardwire the attitudes and live by them, that's when they become a part of you. That's what hardwiring new attitudes means. And it is those attitudes that are gonna determine whether you have the life that you were born to live or you're doing something else. So um, uh, take a look at that on my website. Uh, feel free to, um, uh, you can, by the way, also sign up for, I have a, a uh, uh, video, a two-part video called Light Up the Life. Uh, light up your, uh, wait a minute, uh, light up the path to your highest potential. And that also leads to the complete course. And you can access that on my site as well. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time. And to the listeners, thank you for tuning in. And a quick note, uh, some have asked why there was no uh, show last week. Well, uh, we entered lockdown. I had a show booked at our studio. And unfortunately, the studio was closed. And therefore, we missed out. But you will get more of this. And uh, please uh, support the show. And I will leave all the links to our show on the show notes. Have a great one. Thank you for tuning in.